If your character sheet is longer than the rulebook, then you just might be playing it wrong. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 26 of Playing Rod, the podcast where I try to speak. And we have our live studio of two dogs, and they're chilling out after their nap and making another nap. So full of energy. Uh, well, it's hot here in Texas, so what can I say? And speaking of dogs, we will shout out to Happy Whisk. Listen to our podcast. And we're doing the great Make Your Own Puppy Food Experiment. So far this week, we've had some puppy farts, but no puppy trots. So that means no diarrhea, which is a good thing. But yep, balanced fresh food for the dogs. And it's not costing that much more, just a little extra time and a lot of research. Can they eat this? Can they not eat this? Can, is this okay in moderation? It's just like people, really, just not the same things. So if you do this, do your research, all right? But, and thank God for the Instapot. Yay. Anyway, let's move on with this episode about gaming. All right, let's talk about last week's episode a little bit. I was complaining about actual play podcasts. And I've been searching all week, and I actually found one that I found entertaining. Yes, it is 5th edition. And yes, it is so-called sort of celebrities uh, doing it. That is, if you've ever heard of College Humor Online, it's some folks from there. It's not another D&D podcast. And the way they play is, you can tell they're playing 5th edition, you tell they're playing a game, and I usually break out laughing once or twice per session. And a lot of it is this crazy shit that happens like in our in my own session. So that's the way it is. I found something that I'm enjoying right now, so... And also, if you're interested in Swords and Wizardry and the Blight, check out Swords and Misery. It's also a good actual play podcast. All right, moving right along. And speaking of how I play, it's time for the session summary because we had the Labyrinth Lord game this week and we had one player out and we garnered a new player. So now we actually have a gnome fighter. Yes. Anyway, the party has, in case you want to have a little recap here, the party has taken the... uh, a quest from the strange woman they met in the woods of escort her to this town of Malkuth, which is kind of a morally tolerant town, i.e. there's lots of evil things as long as they don't burn the place down, it's okay. So that's, uh, and I don't know if that came through on the mic, but I just got a notification on MeWe, yay. So the paladin in the group uh, is going to have problems, which he did. He had some problems, which he kind of caused problems for the uh, other player characters. But what happened along the way? Uh, They ran into, I did a random encounter, and they ran into some hill giants. And I just ran a random encounter of the book, and then I rolled up treasure straight out of the book. And one of the things I rolled just by sheer chance was a ring of wishes. They're only fourth level. It's like, is this too powerful? I was like, no, F it. This is old school. It's what rolled up. Let them deal with it. Which, they kind of broke even on the first wish. And, well, then our fighter, our half-orc fighter assassin, well, he blew a wish and his dex is now five. Anyway, um, it's going to be interesting. I got some plans for him getting that back. They also ran across a wonderful, the best curio shop in town for magic items. Sabine's Curio Shop or Sabin's Curio Shop. I can't even say my own NPC names right. Well, anyway, they were doing fine. They were shopping there. Everybody's happy. And suddenly the paladin goes, I detect evil in the way I do it. If it's something that's supernaturally evil, like a demon or undead or something like that, yeah, it's going to it's gonna click it, even though there's no evil intentions right now. 
So it's evil. So they did a bunch of shopping, and immediately the Pelican goes, No, we're all leaving. We're all leaving now. So they all left, not to go back, but they're going to be back next session. So what they found out is, when they got this woman to the town after some random encounters, is that her brother's been captured and is being held as a unwilling gladiator in a fight club. And the whole idea is to rescue him from a, a gang boss in town, who is a ogre named Wan Chi. No one has figured out yet, and I don't think my players listen to this, no one's figured out that that's an Asian-sounding name for the ogre, so that means he's probably an ogre magi, which of course they're not going to be prepared for when they go running in there, and there's probably going to be some deaths. And that kind of leads me on to what the meat of this episode is about. It's about player preparation. I was thinking about this after the other uh, after this session. Player preparation. Because there's so many podcasts and blog posts and everything else and even books talking about DM prep. But you know what? Players, and I'm a player too. I run and I play. Players, you got prep to do. Now I'm going to put prep into two categories. And the first category is pregame prep. Now, pre-game prep all goes up, everything right up until you actually start playing. There's rule number one. This is the number one positive frickin' rule for player prep. Bring your damn character sheet. A pencil would be nice. A mini would be nice. Even your dice would be nice. But bring your damn character sheet. Now, I know people forget things. And I've got extra pencils. Other players have extra pencils. I've got an extra set of dice, or like my old dice that have killed many a character while I was playing them, so they suck. So that's your punishment dice if you want to borrow the dice of death. But bring your character sheet. And it would be nice to bring the pencil. And if you have minis, go ahead and bring one. I mean, it doesn't even have to be the right mini. Just bring a mini. Instead of having the DM bring minis if you don't play any. And if you have them and you're not bringing them, come on. It doesn't even have to be painted. Now, the other stage of the pregame prep is leveling up your character. If at the end of the session the DM says, level up, and you get to the next session and you haven't leveled up yet, please, come on, just take the time to level up your character before the session so everybody doesn't have to wait for you to level up your character. Now, I know I run lots of weird games, or as one of the players said, offbeat games read as OSR games that aren't always on the shelf that they all they have easy access to. However, I try to keep it so they're things that are at least cheap, if not free, PDFs. I'm running Labyrinth Lord. Those P Goblinoid games has the art free PDFs online. I want to run run Swords and Wizardry Complete. That PDF's all over online free and legally free. They can also order the books in case they want to, but yeah. And DCC, ran DCC. That, well, not so much, but hey. Last I checked, the softcover book was like 30 bucks, which is cheaper than any of the D&D books that came out. So, quick for whining. It's, I mean, the price of the softcover book is almost the price of a set of dice, but there's that really cool purple sorcerer app, Crawler Companion, so you can use it on your phone, which is kind of cheesy, I know, but still. Level up your character. And know the rules for your character. That goes with that same thing of reading the rules before and knowing what you can do. So that's the in-game prep. Now, I'm going to go to the second prep. That's during-game prep. And this has two subcategories. There's in-character and out-of-character prep. So, in-character, out-of-character prep 
is very simple. Think ahead about what you're doing each turn so everybody isn't waiting around for you to sit there five minutes to finally say, I attack. Okay, yeah, we knew you were going to attack, but it didn't take you 15 minutes to decide that, or who to attack, or what to do. Pay attention to the game, and know your character and know what you can do, okay? That's the, in, that's, that's the, the player prep. In-character prep. Now, this goes a little, like I, this is, goes back to my original segue of having the party plan for the adventure going in, despite all the hooks that the DM gives them, all the clues, and perhaps even an NPC telling them outright, here's what you're going against. And they just strap on their normal stuff and go running in totally unprepared. Do not whine if you die. That happened in an old Shadowrun game. They knew ex they were going into an ant shaman's sort of mound, hive, whatever the hell you want to call it. They knew exactly what they were going into. They had all the time, money, and resources to prep. And they didn't. And they died. Same thing happens. It doesn't matter what game you're playing. Same thing happens. And I know that there's the uh, sometimes the tendency for players to overplan an hour for just getting through a door. But at least take those clues that the DM gives you to keep you from dying, maybe? And one of the lesser-known ones is find out what, your, what kind of snacks your DM likes and bring those too. So bribing the DM always helps with snacks. That's the friendly bribe, okay? All right. Um, this is going to be kind of a short episode because I'm on a time crunch this weekend and I'm behind on everything. So that means we're going to move on to reading from the Little Brown Books. And this week we have finally moved on to Volume 3 of the original three booklets, The Underworld and Wilderness Adventures. Now I already know that this is going to be a quick... Well, the readings are going to be quick, but the commentary may be long because there's lots of drawings and stuff in this. But this is the final book of the trilogy. And this isn't going to stop the little brown books because I'm going to go through Blackmore and Greyhawk and, and the other ones that I've got here in the nice little box. But anyway, let us begin with the beginning of The Underworld and Wilderness Adventures. And of course, we begin with The Underworld. Before it is possible to conduct a campaign of adventures in the mazy dungeons, it is necessary for the referee to sit down with pencil in hand and draw these labyrinths on graph paper. So, the first sentence is GM prep. Yeah. Um, unquestionably, this requires a great deal of time and effort and imagination. Well, there's lots of tools now that make it easier, but sometimes, you know what? I can do it faster with a graph paper and a pencil than I can with all the online stuff. The dungeon should look something like the example given below. See? Oh, wait, it's a podcast. You can't see. Yeah, it's a map. Um, sprawl in all directions, blah, blah, blah. See, this is why this is going to be a quick book, because there's going to be lots of... And there's a picture. No, ignore it. Okay, in the beginning of a dungeon, it is advisable to construct at least three levels at once, noting where stairs, trapdoors, and chimneys, and slanting passages come out lower levels. Blah, 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 blah. Now the chutes. <coughs> Excuse me. A good dungeon will have at least a dozen levels. I haven't seen that in a long time. But in my old age, I've kind of gone through the idea of a mini dungeon is better than a big dungeon because it gets done in one session and wrapped up and move on to the next thing 
There's no limit on dungeons, so hence back to the mega dungeon. And these things contain such things as museum from another age, an underground lake, a series of caverns filled with giant fungi, a bowling alley for 20-foot-high giants, an arena of evil crypts, and so on. A bowling alley. It, it's right in there. Bowling alley in your dungeon. If you don't have a bowling alley in your dungeon, it's not complete. But you know what? Nobody puts toilets in their dungeon. It, you hardly ever see a toilet in your dungeon. All right. And they have a sample map and a sample explanation. Whoa. Which, the, um, and I'm going to run through this real quick here. So we've got single, um, let's see, A. There's no A. Oh, two. I'm sorry. Two. Room two. Where F is room two. It's a whole maze on that map. It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, a room containing a monster and a treasure. Um, setting passages. You know, which way... No matter which way west players move, they will end up turning into the lair of monster B. Let us blow the basilisk. There's a false door in the second passage to the north. The tunnel in the east contains trap C and a slide lower level. I mean, this is just... put up on the, Reading this, you would be totally confused because the map, I really don't... The two maps that are here don't go any with this, so it's, it's, it's kind of gibberish. But anyway, we're going to go on tricks and traps. What do we got here? Um, hmm... Slides those already indicated on the sample level, there are a number of other easily added tricks and traps. The fear of death, its risk each time, is one of the most stimulating parts of the game. And that is true. Fear of death. I mean, if you're, just, if you're not going to die, then what, what's the point? You know, I've, I've made an old joke about Call of Cthulhu characters are braver than D&D characters because they know there's crap worse than death, and there ain't no... Well, there probably is a race dead in Call of Cthulhu, but you don't want to cast it. Anyway, so it therefore behooves the campaign referee to include as many mystifying and dangerous areas as is considered as is consistent with a reasonable chance of survival. Remembering the monster population already threatens the survival. For example, there's no question that a player character could easily be killed by falling into a pit 30 feet deep or into a shadow pit filled with poison spikes. And this is quite understandable in most instances. However, a few simple items can be included. False stairs. Ooh. Steps, which lead down a sliding pathway so the player may actually stay on the same level, descending two levels or ascending two levels. Um, trap steps. Intra-level transport areas. Or teleportation. I can't read, sorry. Sinking rooms, which seem to sink. Um, sections with dead ends to trap players. Doors which are ownable from... Oh, burr, burr, burr. Doors which are openable from one side only. Burr, 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 burr. Yes, I'm making funny noises. Get over it. Um, natural passages and caverns, space distortion corridors or stairs which seem longer or shorter than they actually are. Those things were fun back in the day when people were actually trying to map out the dungeons and it would just freak out an anal retentive mapper with like, what do you mean? It's, we should be here. And next we're going to start to the uh, distribution of monsters and treasure. So, as a general rule, there will be far more uninhabited space on a level than there will be space occupied by monsters, human and otherwise. And you make up your mind where you put them, basically, randomly, whatever. Um, but, that, you know, it, there is a much simpler uh, chart in here for the kind of treasure that you find than the other ones is simply of rolling of the level and how much it is. That's it. I mean, it's much more simple. Sometimes, the, sometimes those horde values are kind of annoying. 
Okay, unguarded treasure. Yeah, there's stuff to be unguarded. You just find it. It's kind of fun, and it freaks players out because, yeah, it's got to be a trap. And maintaining freshness. Here's, I'm not going to go for this, but, you know, the same old thing gets dull. If you're playing it by, you know, long enough doing dungeon crawls, it's like you do the same damn things over and over and over again when you walk through a door. You know, search for traps, check for secret doors, listen, blah, 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 kick the door in, hopefully kill everything that's inside or be killed by it. But here's some things. Make minor alterations in an existing dungeon. So they leave, things change. Make the map bigger. Replace monsters that they've already taken out. Reverse directions on the map. Add a passage which continues past the established boundary of a level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And movements are turned to the under level. So, yeah, secret passages. It's kind of... First part's kind of lame. But, you know, it, it, this is kind of the how you play, not so much what you play. Because, like I said, this book is going to go by fast, and... Next episode, I'm, I'm skipping ahead a few pages. I'm not going to edit this shit out. I don't care. Because all 12 of you or however many will listen. Um, of the example of play. I'm going to do the example of play. That's going to be probably the meat of the next episode. Because I want to have fun with it. And with that, dear readers, I still have a ton of things to do today. Dear, <laughs> dear listeners, if you go to the blog, yes, listen to my blog, read my podcast. So, um, with that, I hope you have a happy week, happy gaming, roll dice, kill monsters, take their stuff, and remember, check us out on Facebook at They Might Be Gazebos, or visit the blog at theymightbegazebos.blog, it's theymightbegazebos.blog, let her be, not be, you know the drill. And, you know, with that, I bid you adieu.